0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes over us and cleanses us and purifies us from all sin. Lord, we were foul. Ugly, unable to stand in your presence. But Lord, you sent your son Jesus to die for us. To pour out his blood. To cleanse us from our shame, our guilt. From our sin. Allowing us the opportunity to stand in your presence. Forgiven and made new. Lord, thank you for the blood. Thank you for your grace. Lord, that you sent him as a gift. As we are unworthy of your love and your grace. Nevertheless, you loved us. and you gave yourself for us so that we might have a relationship with you. Lord, we praise you for Christ. Now, Lord, as we come, we study about that gift today as we look back to the life of Abraham and your covenant with him. Lord, it was in the covenant that we see Jesus, the promise of the one who would save. The Lord, open our eyes today. Let us see Jesus. May our hearts be turned all the more to him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. We pick back up with the journey of faith, looking at the life of Abram. Today we see him become Abraham. Abram has been called out of the Ur, out of Ur of the Chaldeans, to go to a land that God had promised to give to him and his offspring after him. Uh, God had come, has already come to him and made a covenant with him. We saw a couple, a few weeks back now after. We've Before we went through Easter and all that but uh, we saw God make that covenant with Abraham and now we see him come again as we look at the covenant of circumcision this morning we need to remember that it's the same covenant it's all the same thing there was a a length of time there that uh, was between the first covenant that God came and cut with Abraham that we saw there but now we see it ratified today through this covenant of circumcision. So remember, as we put all of these things together, this is all one and the same covenant. It's all God's promise and commitment to Abraham and his offspring as we look at that this morning. Uh, we're going to focus mainly on 1 through 14 today, and then next week we'll, we'll continue on and look at the whole thing. So we're going to spend two weeks on this part of the covenant, but... Uh, I just as I began to study it, I thought that necessary. So if you will, if you found your place there with me, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's word. I am going to read the whole chapter this morning. Uh, hear the word of the Lord. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, "I am God Almighty." For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly great or exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. Both he who is born in your house and he who is, brought with, who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give to you a son by her. I will bless her <coughs> excuse me, I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man? who is a 100 years old, shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, O, oh, that Ishmael shall, might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I, will, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into great nations. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with God, with him, God went up from Abraham Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised and all the men of his house who were born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him amen may the Lord have blessings to the reading of his holy inspired and inerrant word and may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts and you may be seated One thing that we often look for in our walk of faith is assurance. Assurance. I don't know many people who have come to faith and not at some point in their life questioned, Am I really saved? Did it really stick? Was there a definite definite change there in my life? We have that need for assurance because, I mean, when we talk about eternity, that's weighty. And we should question that. That should be a question in our heart. As believers, most especially, we want to know, we want to have that assurance. So how do we have that assurance? Is assurance even possible? Well, assurance is possible. It is possible. And here's how we can find assurance in our walk with Christ. A heart transformed by God's grace is a heart that desires to live in obedience. If you want assurance, listen, a heart transformed by God's grace is a heart that that desires to live in obedience to God. We're going to see that in our passage today as we look at this uh, covenant of circumcision here today. As we think about the covenant of circumcision, we we need to remember that uh, Abraham, it's been 14 years, at least 14 years, uh, since God came to Abraham that, that first time, well, many more since the first time he came to him in the, or of the Chaldeans, but it's been 14 years since God came and he cut the covenant with Abraham. You remember him coming and cutting the covenant. Uh, he came to Abraham and said, I will, uh, I will be your God, right? I will be your security. I will bless you, and I will multiply you, and I'll give you this land. I'll give you a, a place. I will give you uh, a people. I will give you, uh, uh. just lost it. I will give you protection, I will give you provision, I will give you a place, I will give you a people. There they are, the four, right? I got it. It happens. So God had come to him and he cut this covenant. Abraham at that point said, how do I know? And so God cut the covenant with him. He, he told Abram, he said, you go get these animals, you go get the calf and the, the goat and these birds and all of these things and, and you get them ready. And so Abram, he came, he cut the carcasses of those animals in half. You know, this was a tradition, a part of their day and time. This was how sovereigns, kings, would make a covenant with their their subjects. So we have God the sovereign coming to make a covenant with his subject, Abram. And so they divide the carcasses, they lay them out there, and God causes a deep sleep to come upon Abram. And God comes through and he walks through the pieces, basically saying, I will be your God, you will be my people, and if either one of us breaks this covenant, let me be torn asunder. Remember that? And so God, in that moment where traditionally, both the sovereign and the subjects would walk through and make an oath, you will be my king. I will be your people, and if either one of us break this covenant, let us be torn asunder. God in his grace came and he walked through the pieces alone. Taking upon himself the obligations of the covenant and all of the consequences for breaking the covenant on himself. But now God has gone, and it's been 14 years. Ishmael is is 13 now, so you can kind of do some math here and figure that it was at least 14 years. And so uh, God has been kind of silent, kind of silent. God came, and he made this covenant with Abraham, or Abram. And he's been silent for 14 years, and time has marched on, and and, uh, things have happened. You might think, Abram, thinking, what happened? What happened? Where's God? Did I blow it? (laughs) Is he gone? But in that moment, God comes to Abram. And he comes with the covenant of circumcision. As we think about the covenant of circumcision, the first thing that I want us to notice here, I want us to see God's grace. I want us to see God's grace. Notice here in the first verse that it is God who approaches Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. The Lord appeared to Abram. As we've been looking at Abr- Abram's life throughout uh, all of these, these past couple of months, we've been mar- marching through Abram's life, you know it's always God who comes, right? It's God who, who comes and, and appears and reveals himself to Abram. When Abram was an Ur, Abram was a pagan. He worshipped false gods, yet God came to Abram. That Abram, you're my man. I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave your, your city. I want you to leave all that you know, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to give to you. It is God who came. When God came to make the covenant, as we talked about just a moment ago, when he came to make a covenant, it was God who came. God came to Abram and said, Abram, I am your shield. And your reward shall be great. It's God who makes that first appearance. It is God who is the one to initiate contact always and forever, even with us. It is God and His grace that comes to us. It is God who approaches, it is God who is gracious and merciful. And so God comes to Abram, he appears to Abram, and look what else, how, how does he appear to Abram? How does he come to him and approach him? He approaches him as El Shaddai, as God Almighty. This is the first time in Scripture that we see that name, El Shaddai, in the Hebrew. And it means God Almighty. I am God Almighty. You see, God is communicating something to Abraham by revealing himself as God Almighty. Because we might have questioned if we come to covenant with a God, well, God, are you able to keep your end of the deal? Are you able to, to give me uh, protection? Are you able to provide for me? Are you powerful enough to give me a people especially for Abram, who is 100 years old, whose wife is 90 years old, beyond the age of childbearing. God, are you able to do this? Are you able to give me a place? Are you able to deliver this nation over to my offspring after me? Are you able to drive out all the pagans in the land? Are you able to do it? And God says, I am God Almighty. I am able. Dear friend, I want you to know today, no matter what you're going through, no matter how many obstacles has been thrown up in your life, no matter what sin you may be struggling with in your life, God comes and He says, I am able. I am God Almighty. I can deliver you from your sin. I can deliver you from your suffering. I can deliver you from all things. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. I am Abel. This is the God who comes to us by His grace, offering us salvation, life. God is the God who can accomplish His promises. So we see then that the covenant here was established by the divine initiative of God Almighty. The covenant was established with Abram by the divine initiative of God Almighty. It wasn't Abraham that goes to God and says, Oh God, would you, you cut a covenant with me? Would you come covenant with me? Would you be my God? No, it's God, and he comes to Abram. And he says, Abram. You're my man. You're my man. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to covenant with you. I will be your God. It is God who comes and makes the this offer of salvation. It is God who establishes the covenant. Your friend, we need to understand that. That it is that the covenant that God offers even for us to enter into. All of it is is based upon the promise of God. It's not based on any obligation that is put upon us, but it is based upon the the sovereign will and might of of God alone. It is by God's grace. By God's grace alone. So the covenant was established by the divine initiative of God Almighty. Second, we see the ratifying requirements of the covenant. The ratifying requirements of the covenant. What do I mean when I say ratify the co- <clears throat> ratify the covenant that just means to make it official right to make it official god has already cut the covenant it's already been established it was established 14 years prior but now it comes time to ratify it to to make it official to make it public and now he comes with the the, the covenant of circumcision so look at the ratifying requirements what does it take to to make this official the re- requirements of ratification here God says I am God Almighty walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you and then he goes on I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you and then he goes on to say, this is the covenant between me, and, between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And so God lays out two requirements to ratify the covenant. Two requirements of Abraham to ratify the covenant. One, walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless that is to walk in moral uprightness before me. If you're going to if I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people then it makes sense that you will follow my lead, right? And that's always the requirement with God. Be ye perfect as the Lord your God is perfect. He calls those who enter into covenant with him to be perfect, to be morally upright to Be obedient to His Word. Dear friend, it's no different for us. You have so many people that have such a misunderstanding about uh, what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ. Oh, well, if I just come down here at the end of service and I uh, say this little prayer that the preacher, he says, and I repeat that prayer, and then, then everything's good, right? Everything's fine. I'm, I'm in the kingdom. I don't have to change a thing. I can live life in complete sin. I can go out and get drunk every weekend. I can do my drugs. I can sleep around. I can do all of these things. But I've said the prayer. I've done the steps. I'm in the kingdom. I'm good. So many people think that way. You go out here and you start going down the streets and you you start witnessing to people, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. No, I don't go to church anywhere. No, I still live like I've always lived but I'm a Christian because I went to Bible school when I was a kid and I, I said a little prayer after the preacher said it and I, I said it and I'm good. Church has preached a false gospel for many years. Understand we're not saved by works but faith without works is dead James says our hearts aren't changed if our lives never change then the evidence is that we're not saved the requirement for us to make the covenant official is that we walk blameless before God that we be perfect as God is perfect and then there's the this uh the sign of the covenant here be ye circumcised, you and all your household, right? What does that mean? What, what's, what's that all about? Well, uh, really, there was a tradition back in, in that time, in the ancient times, when the sovereigns would come in and make these covenants with their subjects, often, most often, they would set up monuments with engravings on them to, to make that covenant, you know, to make it public to have this, this visible symbol there so that the people, when they, they come in, they come by this monument, they, they were reminded, yes, we're, we're dedicated to the king. And when the king came in, he would see the monument. It said, yes, I'm dedicated to this people. We've made a covenant. And so there was a, a visible symbol of the covenant. And you see here in our passage, in our scripture, it, circumcision is called the sign of the covenant. It was a visible symbol to remind Abraham of his covenant with God. Kind of like that monument. We have a similar thing. Well, maybe not quite as similar as circumcision. But uh, a similar thing in the covenant of marriage, right? There's, I have a ring. I wear this ring everywhere I go. And if I, you know, every now and again, I kind of forget to slip it on. And it doesn't take me long. I say, Something's missing. Oh, my wedding ring. And I go back home and I put it back on because, you see, that's a sign of the covenant that I've made with my wife. And it reminds me day in and day out of the commitment that I have made to my wife. It's similar, very similar to, to what's going on here. It's a sign. Now, we know that when Jesus came, the sign of circumcision was done away with. But what has replaced it, because God always replaces things, what has replaced it is baptism. Believer's baptism. Yes, Baptist belief. Believer's baptism, once you come to faith, once you enter into covenant by God's grace through faith, then you go through the baptism. Go get baptized. And that is a public symbol, an announcement, a pronouncement that I am his and he is mine and so baptism has taken place or taken uh, the place of circumcision in the life of the church so we have then this, this sign and seal of the covenant of circumcision being given to us and, and really that's the first step in obedience you see after God leaves here what does Abram do? He goes and he circumcises. He has himself circumcised and he circumcises his whole household. This is the first step of, of faith, the first step of obedience. I'm going to follow the Lord and I'm going to start right now by being circumcised. And that's why we believe is in believers' baptism. Because that's the first, the first sign of obedience, the first step of obedience. I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to be baptized. But dear friend, if you're here and you've, become a follower of Jesus Christ but you have not been baptized And let me encourage you come forward and, and let's get you baptized take that step of obedience to the Lord so perfect obedience then to God is the requirement to ratify to make public to make official the covenant with God perfect obedience to God is the requirement to ratify the covenant. Now, you ask the question can anybody be perfectly obedient? Is it possible to be perfectly obedient? I mean, if God calls for perfect obedience to to make the covenant official, what hope do I have in all this? How can I do that? I, I know I can't be perfect. And we see it in the life of Abram. Abraham now. But in his life, it, it, as we, we continue on through the Scriptures, we're going to see he's not perfect. He's going to come back and he's going to lie to Abimelech. Get himself in trouble again. He's not going to be perfect. And that's where we see the good news. We need to be reminded here of the good news. We have to remember that the promise came before the requirement. The promise came before the requirement. God came and he cut that covenant with Abraham 14 years before he came. He comes and, and lo- uh, uh, makes this requirement of making the covenant official upon Abram. Uh, Paul makes a big deal out of this. He, he, he really focuses on this in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 and then 13 through 14. And to the one who, work, who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, his faith is counted as righteousness. Verse 13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Or if it is the inheritance of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So Paul makes uh, the point there uh, that the, the promise of God, it came 14 years prior to the requirement of circumcision. We have to remember that God, when He walked through those pieces, He walked through alone. He says, I will be your God. You will be my people. I take upon myself all the requirements of the covenant. I take upon myself all the responsibility of the covenant. So that if I break covenant, let me be torn asunder. And if you break covenant, let me be torn asunder. And God, in the second person, Jesus Christ, He came and He was torn asunder on Calvary's cross. He fulfilled all the obligations. He lived in complete and total obedience to the Father. Right on down to the point of death, even death on a cross. And though he was without sin, he laid there when the, the soldiers were beating him to a pulp, ripping his back open. He laid there and he took it. When he went to the cross, he wasn't fighting the soldiers but He freely and willingly laid Himself down on the cross. He laid out His hands and He allowed them to drive the nails into His hands and into His feet. He said, Father, put it on me. Put it on me. Put it on me. Forgive them. They know not what they do. Put it on me. And God, in Jesus Christ or the penalty, the consequences for failure to keep the covenant on Calvary's cross so that we might gain the righteousness in which He gained in His life. That's the good news. No, we don't have to live in perfect obedience. Abram didn't have to live in perfect obedience. His sons didn't have to live in perfect obedience. We don't have to live in perfect obedience because if that was a requirement for us in these sinful bodies, we would fail over and over and over again. And God knows that. So God said, I'm not going to require of you something that's impossible. I'm going to die for you instead. Yes the requirement is a perfect obedience. But Christ lived in perfect obedience for us. He died for us so that we might be saved regardless of our shortcomings and our failures. God and Christ fulfilled the requirement, or excuse me, God and Christ fulfilled the required obedience. And receive the penalty for disobedience on behalf of those who believe. God in Christ fulfilled the required obedience and received the penalty for disobedience on behalf of those who are who believe. What a blessing. We have. Anyone who's ever tried to live in perfect obedience and struggle you know how much of an impossibility it is for us to live in perfect, sinless obedience to God. These old old bodies of flesh won't allow it. Our minds are always wandering to the sinful. Even if we we put forward some uh, semblance of of perfection, our minds mess us up every time. Oop, there's that sinful thought. Oop, there's that one. Oop. God in his love and his grace. He accomplished righteousness on our behalf and he paid for our unrighteousness so that we might gain his righteousness and have salvation in him. So does that mean then I can simply profess faith again and do what I want to do? we've kind of come full circle here again haven't we <laughs> can i just uh, does that really this just mean then that i can just live and free eat drink and die and whatever i'm good again if i just pronounce this faith dear friend if that's your attitude then you really need to check your heart your attitude is yippee i get to do what i want to do then You need to check your heart. Because such an attitude never gains assurance of the covenant. Such an attitude, such a a love for sin, it doesn't give that assurance of that covenant of grace that God extends to us. Notice what Abram does when God comes to Abram. When God comes and says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly, then Abram fell on his face before God. When God comes to him and says, be blameless before me, walk before me and be blameless, Abram falls on his face before God. What's happening here? What is Abram doing? Falling on his face before God, number one, it represents a reverence for the sovereignty of God. Abraham is acknowledging that the Lord God Almighty is God. The sovereign God. And he bows down before him in reverence to his sovereignty. Yes, Lord, you are Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Second, it is a, a loving surrender to God. That's what, when he falls on his face, he's down on his knees. Abram's saying, I give my all to you. You are God. Gracious God. You are able. And I surrender to you and he goes in obedience and he circumcises he begins to walk before the Lord see a heart of faith we are saved not by works but by grace through faith but a heart of faith is not a heart that that longs for for sin It is a heart that surrenders God Almighty. Second, a heart that's transformed by faith is a heart that's truly transformed. We see that in Abram because Abram, God gives him a new name, doesn't he? God is symbolizing the transformation that's taking part or taking over in Abram's life. No longer are you Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. And Sarah's name is no longer Sarai, but it's Sarah. There's a transformation that's taking place there. Abram's no longer a man of the world, but he is a man of the kingdom. And God is coming and He's changing him. And dear friend, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God works in us, He changes us. We have a new name. We're no longer part of this kingdom and this world, but we're a part of His kingdom. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. The new has come. You see, that's what happens when God comes to us by His grace. And He gives us hope in His promise. And we come to Him by faith. And believe in that promise. God changes our hearts. He gives us a new heart. No longer do we desire the sinful things of this world, we don't want those things. We want the things of God, we want to live for Him. Oh yes, the flesh may make us glance back over here for a moment and and yes, we may stumble from time to time. But you see, the difference is when we stumble and we sin, it hurts. A heart that is purified by the love of God hurts when it sins. I know I sin. But I'm going to tell you something. When I sin, it's misery to me. Because I know I've hurt God. I've offended Him. I've sinned against Him. i rebelled against Him. And you see, that's the difference. A heart that is transformed by God's grace through faith is transformed formed it no longer wants the things of this world the flesh may want it but the heart doesn't want it the desires the hopes the passions have changed no longer does it want the things of this world it wants God and everything that God has to offer I want his kingdom his eternity his love not the love of the world his love I want to live for him friend, if that's not your heart, check your heart. If your love is more for this world than it is for Christ, check your heart. Because the evidence is there's been no transformation. And you're still lost. heart that's been transformed by God's grace is a heart that despises sin and loves God we live in perfect, perfect obedience a heart transformed by God's grace is a heart that desires to live in obedience to God a heart that is transformed by God's grace is a heart that desires to live in obedience to God. Is it perfect obedience? No. In this life it will never be perfect obedience. But is is there a desire for obedience? Yes. Yes. I want to do right. I want to do right. Paul says, I want to do right. I want to do what's right. The flesh carries me off over here from time to time, and it just makes me sick. Who will save me from this body of flesh, Paul says. Praise be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. The desires change, and there's a desire for obedience. And the ability for obedience—that's the beautiful thing. The, ob- the ability for obedience—it it progresses over the life of faith, and, and we look back at our lives and we see a time when we struggled harder with sin. And as we grow in Christ, it becomes easier and easier to push away the sin and focus on God. We see that in the life of Abram, Abraham, as he struggles. But at the end, not as hard of a struggle anymore. But here's the great thing you see, when we obey. No longer is it out of obligation because, you see, that's the way that that it is before we come to faith. We do it out of some kind of obligation. We want to earn our way before God. We want to earn His love. We want to earn our way into His kingdom. And and we find that we can't earn our way into the kingdom. God comes with His grace. By His grace through faith, He changes us. You say we no longer have to obey out of obligation, but we obey out of love love you God and I want to live for you. Thank you Lord Jesus that you died for me. You gave yourself to free me from sin. You gave yourself to free me from the bondage of sin and you have freed me so that I may live in obedience to you. I love you. And I want to live for you. A heart transformed by the gospel is a heart That wants to live in obedience to God. Dear friend. Do you have that desire? Do you have that desire? If not, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He'll free you. He'll give you a new heart. And He'll save you. Oh, what a debt that we owe for the love of God, for His grace towards us. It's a debt that we can never, ever, ever, ever repay. And here's the good, wonderful news God doesn't ask us to. He doesn't ask us to. But here's the the wonder that comes out of living in obedience and loving to live in obedience to God. that is the wonderful assurance of his saving grace in our lives. A heart transformed by God's grace is a heart that desires to live in obedience. Dear friend, do you have that desire? If not, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He'll save you and give you a new heart. A heart that longs to live for God. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, you tell us, be perfect as the Lord, your God, is perfect. Yet, as sinners sold to sin, Lord, we acknowledge the impossibility of living in a perfect obedience. Oh, how I wish, O oh Lord, that we could live in obedience. But Lord, I thank you. Knowing our weakness, knowing our inability, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your provision and your covenant of grace That frees us. Frees us from the guilt and the shame. Frees us from the penalty that we've earned upon ourselves. Frees us to love you. To covenant with you. And be with you. Oh Lord, I know today there's there's some here. They've been living with an illusion of of salvation, putting their hope and their trust in, in some little thing, but Lord, they're looking back today and they're seeing a life of disobedience, a life of rebellion. Oh, Lord, touch their hearts. Give them a heart of flesh. Let them know your saving grace this morning. That they may become a new creation, leaving behind the old, coming to the new. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.